Yeah. And, and the dangerous thing about that slope is that it becomes so easy to rationalize everything in the name of revenue. And that's why these things happen. That's why you can take a company and we've talked a lot about restaurants in this sense. You know, you can take a restaurant that had such a great customer experience. The quality of the food was so high. And once you once you destroy the, the purpose for why that restaurant exists and you make it revenue, it's so easy to justify the removal of everything else. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. I got up and I looked out and there was eight inches of new sh- new snow out there. So I fired up the snow blower, went and cleaned the walks. And I'm like, yeah, too, too tired to get in the shower. So I'm kind of in that like, you know, it's like you don't really feel like you're ready for the day mode quite mm-hmm. yet. So I've had a few days like that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe eventually I'll, I'll get around to that. We shall see. But uh, thankfully, it looks like it's melting. I went to bed last night. There was no snow on the ground. And now, mm-hmm. eight inches this morning. So, oh, well. Oh, well, I guess it's part of it. We've talked about it before where it's this, you get this uh, false spring and it's like 70 degrees. And you're like, I'm going to go clean up the yard and plant some flowers. And then everything gets buried in 10 inches of new snow that week later. So Yeah, I, I try to warn myself, like, you know, the first week of March when we get like that, that taste of spring, that little tease, you got to get through March first. Yeah, because there is always that chance for that late, late March snowstorm. But yeah. just remind you, winter's not quite over yet. Yeah. I remember one year, at, I, I it may still have been Omniture Summit at the time, where it was just this, like, start to March was just beautiful and warm, and the flowers were out. And I want to say that summer was even around the end of March, third week or, of March or so. And the day before snow day, or the ski day hit, it dumped. Like, I think the mountains got like two feet of snow or something that, that night, just something crazy. So, yeah, I think you got to make it all the way through March. Yeah. Yep. But that's about it. Craving a chicken sandwich. Nice. I just had lunch before we got on. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so this way our talk of food won't leave me hungry through, yeah. through the rest of the recording. It's just going to work on me and pull my attention. And then uh, seeing seeing you and others talk online about uh, the Intamins guy. Yep. I'm like, you know, need some yeah. kind of a coffee cake or something. Mm-hmm. Those raspberry um, danishes, like they mm. were my dad's thing. Yeah. You know, so when we were kids, like that was a treat man, when he'd come home from work with, with one of those. That was, you know, for dessert after dinner. Yeah. <laughs> And like the thing is, is he'd say go get some Entenmann's, but like you know, when you talk about the brand name, kind of being genericized, mm-hmm. you know, he would say go get Entenmann's, but he meant that one thing. 
it's not exactly a one-to-one you know thing right right Timmons was the raspberry danish nothing got it makes sense when i when i think about it i think about the seinfeld episode do they have a castle at windsor no (laughs) they have a they have a they have a what is it it, something on the end of the aisle they have a display on the end of the aisle (laughs) yeah yeah that's a good episode that's the episode where elaine ate the like the cake from pre-world war one or something pre-world war two cake or something yeah that was a good one that was a good one man now i'm so hungry i'm hungry and tired and need a shower nice so this is gonna be a good mix today <laughs> yeah yeah we'll see how it plays out so but it, but, it, but it should be good because i want to wrap up the topic we've been covering the the last few weeks you know, we've been talking about the concept of actively being involved in owning and managing a business versus the allure of other things that lead to a more passive management and, and ownership style. Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we kicked it off just kind of discussing what that meant and some of the, the, the signs that, that that's what happened um, or you know, signs that, you know, the, the original owners are still very focused on the business and pros and cons of both and then we dug in a bit and talked about like you know who your regular customers are and you know being able to to listen to them and you know then moving on to you know one of the results of maybe not being as involved in in owning or managing a business is is the um over operationalization of everything everybody everything being you know overburdened with process and procedure Mm -hmm. so i mean we've really talked about this topic it's been fun to talk about but i want to wrap it up and where i want to talk about today is is goals of a business and and ultimately one of the things that can be a sign that ownership is is not taking an active role ownership or management not taking an active role in the day-to-day running of a business is out of touch goals. Mm. You know, it's, it's something that we see time to time where people put goals in place as, as to be a motivating factor for, for employees. But, you know, are those goals actually in touch with the current state of the business? Is it in touch with the current state of the product or in touch with customers or leading to the best outcome of, of customers? So we've touched on it in so many other contexts. I could think back to several conversations we've had around you know, employee productivity goals, sales goals, um, lead generation goals. Um, you know, we've talked about several, several stories about this, but I want to, I do want to revisit it in, in a way without being too redundant in the context of, you know, the, that being a result of, of not being involved to the level of detail needed to successfully run a business. Yeah, and I'm interested if you have some some examples, but I think a big part of that, especially where you have this sense of lack of ownership, is that the goals tend to be departmentalized um, or role specific, um, because that that seems to be the easiest thing to grasp to, especially if you're not getting any kind of leadership from the top down to help understand what it is that we are trying to do as as a company. And so I, I think it makes sense, you know, we, and I've been guilty of maybe being too strong at attacking companies that, that do that, but to empathize with them, I can see how it can get to that state where you don't have any 
sense of ownership at the top. You don't have leadership that has any kind of sense of ownership or what you're trying to solve for as a business. And when there's that vacuum, you're like, well, what do we do? You know, and what we know is what we know from our, our trade. You know, I'm a marketer, I'm a product manager, I'm a, a support rep. And so you, you start to think in terms of your trade and you start to come up with at least measures for yourself because no one else is really helping to guide those measures. So in, in, in that sense, I can see where companies get into that state. But I, again, I think a lot of times it comes down to that when there's not a sense of ownership at the top, as far as what you're trying to do at, as a company, what tends to become the default metric? And, and there's a couple of really good Simon Sinek um, talks about this. But if if there's lack of ownership of why we even have a company, what becomes the default reason for the why? Revenue. Revenue. Right. If 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 we don't have a reason why we exist, the default in everyone's mind is to make money. And then that flows into kind of the goals of what we're, we're trying to do. But I I guarantee that for most businesses, at, at least the inception there was some other reason for existing. We're trying to solve a specific problem. We have a passion for doing X. We want to create a different way to provide Y. There was some sort of reason why the company was started and existed, and it was lost over time. And typically that loss is when the people that actually own the company start to step away, and there's no transition to help the rest of the company fill that void of lack of ownership um, involved in, in running the company. And again, when that happens, if, if it's not completely, um, managed and thought through how we're going to, um, work towards our shared purpose, it comes down to revenue, which starts to deteriorate all these goals. And we start to just, my, my favorite analogy is that, and I think you might be slightly a little too young, but the, the football game, the electric football game where you put the players on and you plugged it in and it, they all kind of rattled around and kind of spun around and there, mm-hmm. there was no cohesion to it. That's what ultimately ends up happening when you have this passive ownership uh, in a company and, and everyone starts to do their own thing. Yeah. And I mean, like one specifically, this happens to agencies all the time, I, I think. And I mean, there's, there's multiple reasons, but this is, is one of them where you know you no longer are just measured on utilization we have beaten utilization to death here but i am bringing it up again today uh in an agency you get measured based or the agency itself measures utilization as as a kpi but then it ultimately bleeds down to to the employees because to your point employees lose a sense of why why are they doing this why are they engaging with this client why is the work that they're doing valuable why does the client value it all of those things they lose a sense of why and it just becomes checking things off a list so and i i mean it's happened to me in the past where one of my quarterly goals uh was was my utilization rate and it was so backwards instead of the the utilization rate being a metric it was now the goal yeah and because it, it was used for those it was used as a as a stick to punish people um but also it's a goal like that you know they someone's obviously not in touch with the business because you directly impact that number up oh, my utilization's been down a couple of weeks so i just gotta find a way to build some projects 
and make sure it gets up and um, I have a high utilization rate for the end of the quarter. Um, obviously, you're poking the bear here on it. Not necessarily. <laughs> it was just it, it, not not intentionally. Yeah. Um, it, it's just like when I think of the out of touch goals, I just remembered reminded of a period of time where I wasn't, I wasn't, um, my goal wasn't, um, client happiness, renewals. Um, successful deployments, you name it. My major goal was to maintain a utilization rate. Yeah, and and, and, and again, that's when there's a, a lack of a active owner or lack of a feeling of active ownership. If 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 that vacuum is left to exist, then the goal becomes revenue, which for a services organization becomes utilization rate. Mm-hmm. That's it, and it, and it. It overpowers everything else. And it, it's frustrating to me for, for two reasons. One, it's obviously frustrating on the experience it creates for employees. And, you know, that was a huge driver for starting 33.6 was to see if we could do this differently. Um, and, you know, the challenge that others told me that you can't do it differently. This is the way it has to be done. And if you try to do it differently, you're, you'll fail. So that was a huge motivator for starting the company was, well, at least I want to see if it's possible. And if not, then I have my answer. I don't want to work in services because this model is broken. It's horrific. And employees have highly negative experiences working in services. And that's just the honest truth. Now, people may lie to you and tow the company line and say, no, this is a great co-. I guarantee you it's not. You know, I, I would never betray any trust, but I have heard from multiple people at probably every major consulting company on the planet and lots of the, the more mid-sized companies, at least domestically, how utterly miserable they are in their job. And again, from the outside, they may be towing the company line, but I, I, I guarantee you that the, that that misaligned metric is creating highly, highly negative experiences for your employees. It, it, it just is. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it in so many different aspects from it driving everything you do. You know, we can create a horrible customer experience as long as we hit our utilization number. I think I've shared this story and there's lots of stories where people take vacation or they're out because they've had a child or whatever, and then they come back and then they're told, Okay, well, we still have metrics to hit for this quarter. So now you're going to have to work, you know, 80 hours over the next a week over the next five to six weeks in order to get your numbers back up or else you're fired. You know, that happens a lot. And and so, yeah, I mean, it's just it's a highly, highly negative experience. Um, So that frustrates me. But it also frustrates me on the market side in that doing it differently and aligning aligning your goals to your why, your purpose as a company, not only creates hopefully happier, more content, fulfilled employees, that that then spills over to the customer and that you get much better engagements. Your experience is much more positive. Um, You get much more value out of the engagements. And yet a lot of the feedback is, yeah, we kind of like the the old system. 
And you may have seen a tweet from me the other day where I mentioned it, where I was just, you're really feeling down this week. It's like, you know, trying so hard to change the way it's done because again, employees can lie about it, but under the traditional model, it's a very negative experience. It's actually a very negative experience for customers as well. But again, oftentimes they're not willing to admit it. You know, um, we just want utilization rate. And that's what's so frustrating is it's not just on the services side. It's also on the client side, you know, where they say, you know, for years, you guys have just sold us the utilization rate and that's what we want. I'm like, that's stupid. You know, we could work for you for 40 hours a week and provide complete crap deliverables that don't mean anything. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. We just want to check a checkbox off that, you know, we, we, we worked that many hours, like just show me how many hours you work. And that's all we care about. I'm like, this is the dumbest conversation I've had in a long, long time, you know, but it's happening and it's so, so frustrating. But again, it comes back to the topic, um, misaligned goals, right? So on the employee side, the goals are misaligned with the original intent and purpose of the company. And now I'm having a negative experience. The goals are misaligned on the client and the customer side because their goals are misaligned. You know, they really don't care. You know, it doesn't matter if you're selling analytics services or IT services or securities. It doesn't matter. They don't care about what the company's purpose is. All they care about is what items do I need to check off so I can make sure that I get my bonus this quarter. And that's frustrating. Incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to your point about like utilization and why it, it's like a horrible goal. Like, I think I may have mentioned this before, but like several years ago, working in an agency, I was managing a small team and one of the guys on the team took like two and a half weeks off because he was getting married. And, you know, of course the utilization spreadsheet takes into account time off, mm -hmm. But then there's utilization and then client billability on this thing. So his utilization, we, you know, it took into account he was using his time off, yeah. but billability was low. And I get called into the office and it's like, his time, his billability is down. I'm like, yeah, he's, he's out of the office. He's, you know, he's, he's getting married. You know, we knew this coming up for six months. Like th this is, this is it. Like, well, we got to get his billability up. I'm like, if you look historically, he is regularly one of the top ones. He is regularly in the top when it comes to that metric. It's not going to be a problem when he gets back. And like the, the people looking at it, like they, it, it wasn't clicking for them. Like it's going to be fine. We knew he was going to be out for two and a half weeks. It's going to be fine when he gets back. And it was just so frustrating that that conversation that he couldn't even take time off without, you know, someone raising a red flag, like, Oh my God, there's a problem here with his metric. You know, no shit. Yeah. Um, how much of it do you think is, and I, and I know that we're like with this question, we're really straying outside the topic, but it's still grounded in the topic. How much of this do you think is driven by, you know, our, our current topic, which is active versus passive ownership in a company, um, and, and maybe, and maybe this flows into the, the other option is how much of it do you think is driven by the way companies operate in that they see employees as unfilling, unemotional robots 
um, that are just a asset on the company's balance sheet. And, and maybe that is an output of active versus passive ownership. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I, I've been thinking a lot about that question over the last couple of weeks uh, because, you know, life is, life is challenging. We all have things we, we go through that are challenging. We have our ups and downs. The world injects its own set of challenges on top of us and we're all human and we all deal with things and we're not, you know, we're not just this robot that it's like, okay, we show up to work and we, we, we go into this robotic mode where we're not human yet. It, it feels like so often the case that that is what is expected out of us in order to hit our measurement goals and objectives and that we don't have any flexibility to be human within that so if someone's sick if someone something comes up if you know events of the world are overwhelming or change the way that you can work we have no ability to empathize with that and treat them as a human and say look we don't expect you to be 100 100 of the time yet when it comes down to the goals that we align with how we measure productivity and is this a good employee or not a lot of times that's what we are saying. You know, we are saying, you know, you're not allowed to be human. And and that's very concerning to me. And again, coming back to our topic, is that an output of, you know, a humanistic owner being passive in the business? I, I don't know. I, I think it's a bit of a vicious cycle. Yeah. They feed each other. So if we go back to how we started this conversation a couple of weeks ago, is you have someone that started a business has been actively involved, built a product that customers love, a culture that employees want to be a part of. And then maybe, you know, they get, you know, sucked up in the allure of creating something bigger, more money, whatever. Um, they just get sucked up into that. And so they become less active. So part of it is, is they just need to have some kind of goals that, allow them to properly from a distance measure the, the health of the business, which in turn turns employees into like this, you know, the, the, these robots, you know, the employees have to be turned into that. So then others see that and then it's like, okay, that's how I can scale my business. So like that, that's how this, this vicious cycle starts. So as you become less and less attached to the business, more detached from it, you need these, these, um, more or less like, yeah, robotic or automaton like goals of, I need to make sure you're doing this. I don't care how you get to it. I need you to, to, to reach these metrics because, you know, the, the metrics may have started out as, as a, just a, an idea of being able to quickly measure the health of the business, but then the metrics become the goals. And then th what happens is, is then, the goals then force the employee and management, middle management, especially to, you know, treat the employees as, as just automatons, your robots, your cogs in a, uh, you know, in a system that can easily be replaced. If, if you don't hit those metrics, at least that that's the way I see it, you know, one feeds the other. So, mm -hmm. and I think as like, if we look at the agency world, just about every agency um, in the digital media marketing and analytics space, all use utilization mm -hmm. and it's, and then the, um, you know, it's all about selling business. It's about utilization. And then the vicious cycle there is, is we've sold more business. We need to hire employees. So we need butts in the seat. So we'll hire anybody. 
and then we need to keep their utilization up. So we need to sell more business. Well, we oversold the business again. We need to bring more people in or we have a high attrition rate and we just need to keep swapping people in and out. So we just need generic goals that forces the employee, all employees to behave the same. Yeah. Do, do you think this happens in other realms? You know, we obviously our experience is kind of white collar roles, especially like a lot of the things we deal with are, are almost purely digital, although most of our clients have a physical component to what they do. Do you think this happens in other places? I, I'm thinking about like building um, an office tower or something. There's lots of different components that go into that. If everyone is so misaligned, how does something as complex as a building that has all these pieces that need to work together happen without the thing crumbling and falling to the ground? Um, that's a good question. I should talk to a buddy of mine who's in construction project management. Um, I mean, I know he deals, he, you know, he, he's a, um, yeah, he's a general, con- yeah, works for a general contracting company. And so he's got his subcontractors. I mean, like the, the, there's a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff that we deal with in, in project estimation and, and whatnot. Um, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd have to pick his brain um, about it because, you know, when we, we, we've talked work and gone back and forth, like, you know, there, there's definitely the times where he's got to go back to subcontractors and say like, you know, why are you billing me more? Like this was your estimate and back and forth. But I think, you brought up a good point, like preventing it from falling apart. Yeah. Like like there, there's a level of, you know, maybe like, you know, this is something real, you know, we need to make sure it gets done. Right. Whereas like, think about it. Like every now and then when I get stressed out, I try to think of it this way too. Like is what we're doing really like, and, and this is not the cheap in what we do but it's it's like is this real life (laughs) yeah like i I mean we're 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 you know i mean yeah we're impacting potentially millions of dollars in a budget but it's like you know having perspective on things like we're talking about not even anything that exists on paper yeah all of it is is it's a lot of mental gymnastics zeros and ones yeah and uh, i don't know like I'm, i'm just my mind's kind of going a couple different directions, but part of me thinks is like, yeah, we're not building a building. We're not running into a burning building. We're not making sure that this thing doesn't fall with, with people inside of it. We're not getting shot at. Um, So yeah, like, are we creating things to make it more important than it really, really is? Yeah. And that's not to say that these other industries and, and ways of doing work is, are, are not, without their challenges and problems for sure. And and maybe they have similar ones, but it, it, it just always makes my brain hurt thinking about these examples where everyone is so disconnected. I'm like, how would this play out if I was building a railroad or if we were building an office tower or if we were, you know, building an airplane or like this would seem highly catastrophic, you know? And I always go back to the example when I was working client side where I had someone in the marketing team when I called them out and said, this marketing campaign is not working. It is lowering uh, our lifetime value of our subscribers. Our subscribers are having a worse experience on the site now. Um, This didn't work. And this person in marketing said to me, I don't care. 
My job is to drive traffic to the site. What happens with them afterwards is not my concern. And this campaign drove X percent lift in traffic to the site. Therefore, it's a success. I'm like, is this real life? Is this a yeah. real conversation we're having here? Because think about it this way. Let's talk about this at a very, very high level. What we do compared to others. We're not preparing food where if we do that wrong, customers can become ill. Not to say mm-hmm. it doesn't happen, but when it does, it's it's not good. Mm-hmm. It's not good for the business. Um, we're not building something physical that someone could get hurt. It's... You know, you know it, it's it's marketing campaigns. It's these things that live out in the ether. Mm-hmm. They're not physical. They're not tangible. And yeah, in many ways, they're not real. Mm-hmm. So is it, you know, maybe it is. That's why it is easier. And again, it's easy for us to see it because we work in it now. So I need to, we need to find a couple people to bring on to have this debate where like they're working in something tangible. They're delivering a tangible product. Yeah. That... You know, like people are going to use they're they're delivering something physical that if done wrong could seriously harm somebody. What guardrails do they have in place to make sure like that people don't say, I don't care? Because you know, like for me, like, yeah, I could easily see it happening in our business because and it's not to say that we don't care. Like I, I think we, we, you know, you and I in our conversations, we we truly care about making sure we're delivering something that people find find valuable. But at the end of the day, it's it's not something that really exists. Like, and I think that's why I'm finding like a lot of our peers. I've been noticing this trend for the last two years, where they've been moving into hobbies that are completely different from from what the work the work they do. And I'm even being drawn in that direction now. Um, because, and, and the reason that I'm seeing is, is because what we do, there's nothing tangible at the end of the day. And, and that's the frustrating thing to me, but you're right. By and large, most people don't. Most people feel like what they do really doesn't matter. This is all just a mental gymnastics match. It doesn't really matter the outcome. We're just playing a game and it doesn't really matter. And you can see that when you talk to these companies and you bring very real advice and evidence and things that could change the way they work. And when they come back and say, we don't, I don't care. Mm-hmm. That is incredibly, incredibly frustrating to me because it can be tangible. We can change how people feel. We can pe- change the, how people feel about their, their, their jobs and that, wait, I am doing something meaningful because they absolutely can. Like what we do, the intelligence that we create around consumer experiences can be so insanely valuable. But oftentimes it just falls on on people that simply don't care. And coming back to how we started the conversation, their goals, whether it's because you've got a passive owner or whatnot, are misaligned. And they really don't care because what they're driven by is their goals. And and I think that that's why we've kind of found ourselves in this situation. And kind of going back to my, my tweet the other day where I said, you know, it kind of feels like I'm purposefully jumping into... Um, a, a pool of, of, of raw waste and saying, you know, I'm, I'm willing to jump into this, this shit because I've seen a better way. I want to help you guys see it. And nine times out of 10, I hear from either, you know, maybe an employee I'm trying to hire or a prospect I'm trying to sell to. Nah, no, thanks. We, we like swimming in this shit. You know, we, we don't want you here. It, it's so draining because there is a different way. There is a better way. There is a tangible result to what we do. 
but man, most people just don't want to hear it. And that's, it's sad and it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, another reason, like you know, kind of going down this path of, you know, doing things that, that, that have meaning versus not because like, we're not necessarily always creating something physical. So I was talking with a client earlier today and we we're starting to talk about like, what does the next year look like? What could it look like? Some of the things they have coming up. Uh, we were also reflecting back on where his teams come, you know, in the previous year. Um, when we started working with them about a year and a half ago, the team was very, very green when it came to this, a very small team pulled in many, many different directions. Um, sometimes they, they didn't know up from, from down and then they, they had some turnover on there and over the last year in particular, we've been helped helping them gain traction in leveraging data that's being collected. First of all, just, you know, going through and making sure it's data that can be trusted, mm -hmm. but then not just reporting on what's happened, but actually using it to help other teams understand what is happening so they can optimize better um, and, you know, come up with better, better like landing pages, come up with a, a better homepage schema, you know, based on what people are doing. So when we were talking today, I was saying like, you know, I'm, I'm heartened by hearing some of the questions that I'm getting at, when I meet with the team because they're in that mindset of how can we actually use this data, mm -hmm. not just report on what happened. I said, that's a common pitfall. And then another common pitfall I've noticed with, with, with companies is just on the implementation side of things. And I flat out told him, I said, like analytics implementation, after you get the initial implementation out, it is a, you know, once you get that out and data is being collected, being in a constant state of implementation and constantly wiring up new dimensions, metrics and stuff like that. Some of them could provide value, but not all of them do. But what it's also used from a time from time to time is a cheap way to show progress. Yeah. We we you know, over the last month we wired up these six dimensions and these 10 new events and everything, but no one asks, well how are we using it? It's it's just used in the context of we did work. And that's what I think of when we think of this topic is, is when, when people like laud, you know, imp, you know implementation stuff. Yeah. The appearance of worker, you know, we did, you know, this much as far as wiring it up, but again, it's no one's using it. People are going to yeah. forget about it in a few weeks versus like making sure that the data that they have is useful and they're actually using it, not just constantly implementing it. Yeah. I actually have a pertinent tweet from this from March 7th. Um, and, and, and I said, when I first started cooking, the dishes I created were heavy, lots of ingredients, bloated. The more I studied master chefs, the more I found that their creations were simple yet elegant, complex yet modest. And, and really, that was kind of a subtweet of, of the digital analytics world where um, our, our, our goals are misaligned with what we're trying to do, the purpose for the company existing. And because that vacuum exists, our goals become the appearance of work. Um, we just need to implement and that become, you know, Oh, we, we pushed out five enhancements this quarter. Yay for us. So what, what, what is it? What is it doing? Are, are we, are we actually creating something better? And, and again, like it's a very, it's a very, pertinent it's a very realistic analogy and that it's true when i first started cooking it was all about the appearance of cooking like the more ingredients i could put in the heavier and like more stuff i can throw on the plate the better 
because I didn't have any kind of strategy or goal in mind on why I was trying to do it. But if you look at all of the master chefs, it's all about simplicity. It's all about a few ingredients, but high quality ingredients. It's about artistic. Are you mad? It's all about artistically. What? 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 Go get them. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's in that simplicity that the value is, but we, we lose that when our, when our goals are misaligned. Exactly. And that, you know, and, and that's really, I think, you know, the evolution of this conversation overall to start putting a bow on the last couple of weeks is that, I mean, it's hard. And I, I think I said this the very first episode, like it is very hard to, to scale a business uh, without going down this direction. This, you know, it, it's very easy to do this. It's hard to scale a business and not do this. It's hard to scale a business and make sure that your employees aren't just empowered. I hate that. You know, it's like, I empower you to do this. No, it's that they actually take a level of ownership and care that, that you would as an owner. Um, it's, it, it's hard to really develop goals and, and whatnot that really align with what your customers need, what the business is, the, the why the business exists. It's easy to just say our, our goal is X revenue. Um, our goal as, as a team, it's, you know, we, you know, as, as an agency, we need to be, you know, 89% billable. We need to be 82% utilized. Like it's, it's easy to, to do that. It's hard to say, um, we need, you know, customer retention, customer retention's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, it's, it's such an important conversation. Um, and, and again, I, it's not easy, but it's easier when you have active ownership because the owner knows that why there's a reason why they're going through the pain and struggle to do it. They're trying, there's a specific reason. And, and, and oftentimes they share that with their, their teams. It's when, it's when there's that transition out and there's lack of ownership involvement that it becomes challenging. In fact, I kind of want to throw a poll up on Twitter right now to see what kind of response I would get. But I wonder if you went and asked like 10 random friends and asked them, do you know why your company exists? Do you know the reason why the company you work for exists? I bet nine out of 10 of them would say to make money. Because at this point, that's what it is. It's, it's just it, 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 because no one has said otherwise, they don't know otherwise. And so again, if, if, if no one is taking the time to have this incredibly valuable conversation to say company X exists because, and I'm not talking about stupid mission statement and stuff you can print up and hang on the wall in your conference rooms. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really like, why was this company created? Why does it exist? I, I bet if, if I bet most people would struggle to be able to answer that. And if they didn't struggle, their answer would be, well, it exists. We exist to make money. And, and I think that that really comes down to the, the core of this conversation and so many challenges that we face, whether it's trying to find meaningful work doing analytics, whether it's trying to find work that we fulfill, feel fulfilled in doing, whether it's finding and creating 
partnerships that are important to us. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to most of these things are not happening because we don't know why the company exists and it puts us at odds. And, and again, if we don't know, then the default is for revenue. And if we don't know, then the default for me is, well, whatever makes me look best so that I can get my quarterly bonus. And until that's solved for, I don't know that these really negative experiences are, are really going to change. And then I want to add one thing to that, you know, as far as, you know, you were talking like, if it's not this, then the default's revenue. And then if no one comes in and corrects the default, the purpose is then completely lost. And the only purpose is then revenue. It's more than just a default. It is actually the purpose after a period of time. Yeah. It's just there to make money. That's right. And then everything degrades from there. You know, you were talking about the employee, um, the, the employee experience, the customer experience, because you know, at where we started this, you know, a couple of weeks ago is we've all been to, you know, we've all seen that business where it starts off great. The experience is great. The product is great. And then something changes. Yeah. And the product goes downhill. You know, the, the experience goes downhill and it's because the, the attention, the owner has been taken something, you know, the, the ownership management's no longer involved. And then it just becomes about, you know, increasing revenue. Yeah. And, and the dangerous thing about that slope is that it becomes so easy to rationalize everything in the name of revenue. And that's why these things happen. That's why you can take a company and we've talked a lot about restaurants in this sense. You know, you can take a restaurant that had such a great customer experience. The quality of the food was so high. And once you once you destroy the, the purpose for why that restaurant exists and you make it revenue, it's so easy to justify the removal of everything else. This is a really crappy experience for a customer. Yeah, but we can slam more people through the system and make more money this month. You know, this is a really horrible experience for our employees. Yeah, but we can make more money by, you know, you know, by underpaying them and, and, and trying to get more return on our investment in their salary. You know, this is a really crappy customer experience because we've swapped out good food for crappy food. Yeah, but we can save on our margin. So we're making more money. Like you can rationalize everything. And those are just kind of, ethical choices, not even getting to the point where you start to make unethical choices, but, but we'll make more money in our purposes, money, revenue. And that's why it's such a dangerous, dangerous slope to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, like this one, this, this is hard being actively involved in, in the business is hard, especially mm -hmm. if you are trying to scale it, you know, take like that, that, that corner restaurant in a neighborhood and, you know, add new locations. It is very, very hard. This is yeah. not the easy thing. Um, you know, but you know, it's worth it. Why do anything if you don't want to do the hard stuff? That's right. Yep. I, and if you want to leave your mark, I mean, again, I, I think part of it is a societal problem in that we've overvalued things, you know, well, this is how big my bank account is. This is how many vacation homes I have. This is how many, you know, super yachts I own. We've overvalued those things. And because of that, that that's what we've determined as success. And I think I want to believe we're going back to a point where we value the mom and pop store, you know, the little shoe cobbler on the corner on Main Street that is passionate about being a master of their craft and creating really amazing lifelong relationships 
you know, are they going to build a billion dollar business and sell out to Silicon Valley? No, but is that really the measure of success? And, and it's sad because that's what we've made it. And yeah, how happy are people? Are they happier now? I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it. I don't think they are. No. It doesn't feel like it. You know, I think we need to go out of our way to celebrate those business owners, that single location restaurant that says, look, I don't need to have, you know, five vacation homes. There's a, there's a line that I have enough. I want to do what I'm passionate about and not compromise on those things. That's what makes me a success. We don't, we don't celebrate that and we should. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I, I really, really enjoyed this topic and agreed. It's, it, 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 it's something that, that I do think about often just in my personal life, like, you know, the going to, you know, like out of the way places, the hole in the walls, the, the mom and pop shops that have been around for a while, the mom and pop restaurants, you know, where the, the owner's still there. There's people that greet you when, when you walk in and, you know, is they have employees that care, you know, they give a shit. And I think if we appreciate those things again, I think we need to do a better job of showing those owners that we appreciate them. I, I think it's our obligation. If, if we truly enjoy those experiences, I think we need to go out of our way to let them know that we appreciate them. Because if we don't, then it's, it's a hard row. Again, like they're going down a path that is not the path that says that they're going to be successful. And it's so easy for them to say, you know what? I'm just going to compromise and I'm going to do things differently. And, and then it changes and then we're sad, you know, and then we're mad at them. We're just like, why? It was so good. It was so amazing. And why did you change it? Well, maybe some of that's on us. You know, maybe some of that's on the consumer that if we really appreciate things like that, that we need to find a way to make sure that they understand that we appreciate it. And that could be financially, that could be emotionally, that could be a lot of different things, but part of it's got to be on us. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's a great place to, to end it. So we will we'll wrap it up there um, and catch everybody later. See you. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.